0: going
1: up curtain going up places please Over here, stand by ladies and gentlemen she comes to you from the cornfields of indiana she loves the constitution more than she likes most people allow me to introduce shouse in the house
0: hello everybody welcome to shouse in the house i am your host Literally, Heather, and I have with me tonight my dear friend Joey, who, among other things, is going to talk to us about um, the upcoming election and some of the hot races and where we see things going as far as those races are concerned. Um, do we, and for transparency purposes, Joey is um, a conservative. So, um, Forgive the slanted views on things here this evening. Um, So first I want to talk about house races because obviously there's way more of those. Yeah. I'm going to give just a blanket question first. What is your prediction? Do you think that Republicans are going to take both the house and Senate? Neither of them. What do you think is going to happen? Just blanket across the board.
1: Okay, so unfortunately, I'm not going to give you a direct answer to start with because i got to give my usual disclaimer. When we're looking at elections and we're looking at how things are going to play out, what I'm relying on right now are snapshots in time, which is generally what polls are. Granted, we're about 35 days out from the midterm, so a lot of what I'm working with at this moment is really, really good data. Um, it's starting to look at what we suspect the electorate's going to look like. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later of how to look at these polls and how to interpret them and how I interpret them. Um, so as of today, um, I do I was looking at real clear politics uh, earlier to kind of um, get some last minute uh, data the best we got. I do suspect the Republicans will gain the House um, on a not as wide a majority maybe as some people would like or some people would think. And it's starting to look like the Republicans have a very, very real shot of gaining the Senate as well. No kidding. If they do, it will be a very slim majority um, by about 52 seats, potentially
0: 53. Whoa. Okay, so that surprises me because a lot of the predictions, at least prior to you and I having this conversation tonight, were like a sweeping wide margin in the House – and probably not the Senate at all. So that's a, I'm excited to hear what you just said. So let's dig into some of this. Um, Let's do House of Representatives first. So right now you've got quite a few toss-up races, especially I'm really surprised to see uh, the number, you've got 21 Democrat toss-ups right now.
1: Yeah, twenty-one Democrat toss-ups, and that's not. And we're not talking about right now the the firm toss-ups, right? Um, The perennial, you know, swing districts, Uh, pulling it up right now. Yeah. So we've got Alaska at large, which you know, that's a really bizarre one to be a toss-up, but a lot of that's due to ranked choice voting and people not really being used to ranked choice voting. Um, By and large, a lot of what got Pelotola into that seat in the special was people not putting a second choice or a third choice. So that comes also into, you know, you've got to vote down ballot. <laughs> like,
0: can you, you know? explain what that type of race is though to, to some people? Cause we don't, I mean, can you just kind of explain what that is?
1: Yeah. So I had to look into this a little bit to try to process the the whole thing. So as I understand it, as you know, I live in California, we don't have ranked choice voting here. Um, what you do is when you get your ballot, you have a list of candidates and it's kind of like like in elementary school when you would be like oh well this is my first choice pizza party if we do something or this is you know but you know right. do that <laughs> no, I, I, sure. I no with, you know then i have a problem with with cupcake party or whatever so it's a lot like that you'd say like oh well um sarah palin is my first choice but if she doesn't get enough votes to advance to the next round Then my second choice is um, Nick Begich. And then so it is also with Democrats. It would be like, oh, well, Mary Pelotola is my first choice. But if she doesn't make it to the next round, then I wouldn't mind having uh, Democrat B or C. And so you basically like number your choices. And then so what happens is the ballots all go in and the way they're counted is interesting. So you'll have your first round. And they'll see how many, um, you know, first or second choice every ballot has. And then whoever has the most votes gets moved on to the next round where the other candidates will be eliminated. And you keep doing that and they keep looking at the ballots until they have an ultimate winner. So here's what's interesting about this is that you don't necessarily need to garner a majority of the vote share to actually win. You just have to have the most um, the most people have listed you as one of their choices. The first person, the first choice, or whatever. Okay. Correct.
0: So it's a popularity contest
1: times like two. It really is, yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the best way to put it. Um, it's really, it, it's kind of a weird form of voting, in my opinion. I really don't like it. Um, you know, it, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Like I, I'm not even a big fan of jungle primaries. And, you know, being a Republican, I've lived in a state where jungle primaries have favored Republicans for a long time in Louisiana. But I don't even like those. I like to have just, you know, two completely separate primaries so that two ideas, two people who represent, you know, two different um, uh, worldviews can come together, clash, and the voters can make a clear decision on what they want for their future. Right. And I would think a lot of people would... You know, generally agree with that. I see why some people might like ranked choice. I think it's still a little screwy, is what it is. Um, But so the way Pelotola actually gained that seat is that even though Sarah Palin, uh, where Republicans generally got more votes than she did, you know, she was the most with the first choice. So there we have it. So gotcha. well, that's moved into, you know, into a democratically held toss up. Alaska is still perennially a red state. Uh, I was looking at some polls on this one earlier and, um, you know, it kind of shows Pelotola holding on versus Nick Baggage and versus Sarah Palin. I don't think that says too much about Alaska as much as it does um, Sarah Palin's baggage.
0: Right. Um, more than
1: anything, because she does come with a lot of baggage.
0: She does. Um, And she's not everybody's flavor anymore either. I think she's still, I don't know. No, she-, I think she. This, I don't know how to word this any other way, but it seems like Sarah Palin jumped on the Donald Trump ship. But when you were a running mate with John McCain, it's kind of hard to pretend, you know what I mean? Like a tiger doesn't change its stripes. Correct. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to pretend that you're in that camp when you were diametrically opposed to him.
1: At least at first. And then, you know, she was really big um, with the Tea Party movement in 2010 that ushered in that huge Republican majority and that yeah. wipeout um, in President Obama's first term. So there is that. That was, you know, the precursor of a, you know, Trumpist populist movement, but then you have Sarah Palin still attached to it, and you know it's she's very much a lover or hater kind of person. And, yeah, you know she's got some of the some of that controversy. Um, from when I can imagine what governor. that life is like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience,
1: <laughs> you know, I just don't see her. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a part of me that will always like love Sarah Palin, um, just because of how what you see is what you get. She really is. Um, that off the cuff remark at the RNC, I'll never forget it. You know, what's the difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull lipstick. Like, (laughs) you know, she's just so, she's very real, but I don't think she's what the Republican party needs right now.
0: Right. No, I agree.
1: Um, we have a lot of open seats, uh, in, on the Democrat toss up side too. Um, these are all very. Some of these are very good for pickoffs. I mean, looking at states like, uh, um, well, Maine's second congressional district is perennially a, a swing district. Um, that's up. Uh, you know, Donald is Trump that won golden that golden seat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a golden seat. You know, Donald Trump won that singular electoral vote that he was after in two thousand and sixteen. So that's still a bit of a swing district. Um, that could be right Had, picking. I would,
0: it probably wasn't open in 2020, was it?
1: No, I don't think it was because yeah. Golden's okay. still showing as the incumbent there.
0: Um, you've got Ohio 13. Where is that at?
1: Do you Ohio know? 13. Let me, look, let me actually look that up. Uh, Ohio is a really interesting state. We're going to talk about that Senate race a little bit because there's a lot okay. of garbage polling on that. Yeah. Um, And uh, I don't know where some of this is coming from, honestly, with it. Um, But Ohio, you know, is what we one of the states we always talk about as being this perennial swing state. You know, no Republican has ever won the White House without winning Ohio. Um, So we go into Ohio in 2016. You know, everybody's saying Hillary's going to win Ohio. Well, you know, conventional wisdom tells you that's the election. It's over because Donald Trump can't win the presidency without winning Ohio. Well, what happens if Donald Trump runs away with it? In two thousand and sixteen, by some eight points. I mean that's a that's a crazy margin. Handily in Ohio, yeah. Um, And then he does it again in two thousand and twenty, running away with it by nine. Like, yep. So Ohio shifted pretty red on its uh, at least on its statewide and on its presidential politics. And I am looking this up. I want to find out exactly where.
0: Sorry, I thought you might know off the top of your head. Didn't mean to make you do work.
1: I should have come with this ready to go because. Also, <laughs> this is Tim Ryan's, um, congressional seat. Tim Ryan, who's running against JD Vance for Senate.
0: That's the Ohio 13 seat.
1: That's Ohio 13.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: So this is a cleveland. Uh, so uh, this is a Cleveland-based district. Um. That, uh, yeah, that, oh, that uh, Tim Ryan currently represents. So um, this, uh, this is one of the districts that's been redrawn. Um, it looks like it's gone down to a Democrat plus one state or plus one seat. So in a bad year for Democrats, which this is very much shaping out to be, um, I would very much rather be a Republican running in one of these seats than a Democrat trying to defend it. And in a state like Ohio that's seen a right word shift, this is very much ripe right for the picking. Hmm. At present. Um, and that's, of course, going to depend on the candidates. Of course, we are talking about Cleveland. When we talk about urban areas and these urban districts, we're generally seeing Democrat strongholds. So for the, so for this to be currently within this um, general rating from, uh, from the Cook Political Report to be a one point seat, that's not good <laughs> in an right. urban district. This is, this is the Democrat foundation here that we're talking about now.
0: Isn't that Pennsylvania 17 district? Isn't that a really, who's run? do you know who's running that race by any chance?
1: No. And I don't know who's running that race because it's not one that anyone's watching. Okay. It's super close. The ones that are, that everyone is, that everyone is really watching are, um, so moving more into the Republican toss up category, uh, California is 22 and 27. So that's, uh, David Valadeo who won by like, I mean, the skin of his teeth and that's, he. so he's one of the, uh, the impeachment voting Republicans. Um, okay. That might actually play well in that seat um, for him to hold on to it. That's Ventura County. Uh, So kind of on that northern rim of L.A. County, which, you know, when you think of L.A. County here, you think of it as being just this deep blue area. You get into that northern rim, and that's actually a newer phenomenon, um, especially up in areas like Santa Clarita, um, hugging Ventura County there. So where Valadao's seat, uh, definitely that's... He can hold on to that. I don't see that being a loss, but I see it being very tight. Um, it is very tight right now. Um, then we have, of course, Abigail Spamberger in Virginia. Now, that's a that's a perennial swing district, and she is locked in a very, very, very tight race right now um, to the point that she's uh, she's been screaming at the top of her lungs um, about Democrat leadership and how they need a change in leadership and how they're. Oh yeah.
0: This is the one she's pissed about the bill that she put out. Yeah. The stock. Um, Yeah. Okay.
1: So Abigail Spanberger is in a district that's been held by Republicans for, you know, since, uh, since Eric Cantor held the seat, it went to Dave Bratt, who was the first shot sort of shot across the bow of the uh, power of the tea party. And then she won it in 2018. Again, just barely defeating Dave Bratt. Um, but now, with what Glenn Youngkins sort of um, ushered in in Virginia with a major upset victory, um, that seat is probably—I uh, I think that seat is definitely is, def- is a is a definite possibility.
0: Now, uh, right now, they things- have that leaning Democrat—they don't even have that as a toss-up. Do you think that's an underestimated race where? They're just expecting it to go left, and we could see a big upset there.
1: I think that's the chance for an upset victory. Okay. Um, and uh, that's because of the candidate, Yesley Cruz, I think her name is. Um, mm-hmm. You know she she she's very, very, very focused. She is also, you know, if we get into that kind of this identity politics game, she's one of these new Latino Republicans who's right. um, really like part Mira of this kind of driving force um, of this young crop. There's, uh, you know, it, it is lean Democratic right now. I, I still think that that's up for grabs. Um, it could go, that's one that could go either way. But considering that uh, Glenn Youngkin was supposed to lose in spectacular fashion to Terry McAuliffe, according to, you know, most of the conventional wisdom in most of those polls, um, I'm not so sure about that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so what do you see in the uh Washington three district? So I just just to hear kind of what what they're seeing right now for Joe Kent. Um I I think they've got it lean Republican. Do you think is he polling well against the Democrats in that district since he primaried butler
1: yeah that's not going anywhere um okay joe kent's not in any trouble um it's a little bit tighter maybe than it would have been with butler but right. this is very reliable um you even get people like dave wasserman who uh you know he cheerleads a little bit to the left but he's he's never made a bad call as far as elections mm-hmm. are concerned so this is from cook political dave Wasserman. Um, And yeah, he, and and even he agrees that that's, I mean, that would be not, not in a year like this, where the Democrats are really taking a lot of hits, especially in the generic ballot. Joe Kent's more than likely going to win that seat. I would almost put that under likely Republican, if not solid. Gotcha. Um.
0: Republicans have quite a few open seats in their traditionally lean Republican areas. Um Arizona 6, Texas 15, Wisconsin 3. Um that's kind of concerning to me.
1: It's easier to pick off a an, an open seat, it really is. So because like you know, I want to talk a little bit about incumbency advantage, you know, on that note.
0: Okay. Um,
1: That, you know, it's generally this axiom of American politics that a sitting incumbent has a, if we were to assign, say, a numerical value to it, you add about three points to an incumbent generally um, in how they're polling, Um, especially if they're not in a swing district. It's very hard to unseat a House incumbent just because of the ability they have, the bully pulpit they have. Um, the ability to just be out there, send out, you know, their mailings and, uh, their emails that I'm sure some of us get that blow up our, um, inboxes from time to time. Bro,
0: my cell phone, I get so many text messages from the Republican national committee. And I'm like, I left you guys. I'm not even friends with you anymore. (laughs) You don't even go here anymore.
1: (laughs) He doesn't even go here. Um, (laughs) Me me too. You know, if I I, I get at least like 20 emails from President Trump, allegedly, you know, a day, it's (laughs) like, like, yeah, no, Jared Kushner. I don't feel like reading your book right now. Thank you.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So they Um, they have the apparatus, these incumbents. So that's one of the things that secures seats, generally speaking, in the way American politics are run. It's your name recognition. You know, sometimes a voter doesn't make up their minds before they go to the poll. That's very rare. And they're just like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know that name. I'm going to vote for that guy without really considering much. Right. But in some of these reliably Republican areas, just like in some of these reliably Democrat areas, like, uh, you know, here in California, 47, for example, this is an open seat um, where I live uh, representing uh, Long Beach and San Pedro. Um so Congressman Alan Lowenthal is retiring but even though this is an open seat um there's no way that Robert Garcia is not going to win it um so it'll be it's it's the same situation pretty much with these republican seats um it's it would be very bizarre for an open seat to get picked off by the democrats or even likewise for the republicans to pick off an open seat in a reliably democratic area even in this climate.
0: So let me, let's backtrack real quick, because you said something a minute ago that that made me think a little bit. So like this, the incumbent bias, essentially, where when people go to vote and they're just voting with that letter behind somebody's name, do you think, so two twofold question here. As we sit here and we're discussing these races, and oh, this is a toss-up, and I think this could go this way or whatever. Do you think that number one, the level of apathy that has set in societally, that we'll ever be able to overcome that? Like there are so many people who now just really either don't care or don't think that there's any value in voting because of the way the system actually works, that they're just done. And then the second question is, um, well, let me ask that question first, and then I'll ask the second question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. And first thing to understand in the context of the midterms here is that midterms are base elections. So this is all about which party gets their base to turn out and to turn out the most. And it's about enthusiasm. That's all on the Republican side right now. Um, Even with polling showing independence breaking by and large for the Republicans. I do think there is a level of apathy out there, especially among those who aren't as hardcore partisan. um, Because a lot of what they're seeing right now is our, you know, and I'm going to air quote this leaders just constantly <laughs> bickering and going back and forth. And well Trump did this or Biden did that, or, you know, Nancy Pelosi hit me with a wiffle ball bat, like, and at the end of the day, they're going to the grocery store and realizing, holy crap, my grocery bill is out of control. And so, right. not, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, they are saying, what is the point? All they're doing is fighting with each other. It's the proverbial Game of Thrones going on in Washington. And at the end of the day, you know, when we have this clash of houses every two and four years, what's it really doing for my life? I can't afford, you know, to put gas in my car, to go to work, to um, to ensure that my kids have a quality education where they're not being taught strange things. And yeah, they're exasperated. The average person is just trying to figure out how they are going to live a life that doesn't, isn't a constant seat on the struggle bus. And that beats down the spirit, it crushes people. And I think that has led to apathy, absolutely. And so they're just like, you know, whatever, this doesn't matter anyway.
0: I was muted on accident. The second full question that I have is education, right? So, you know, if I were to walk down the street and say, do you know who your city councilmen are? Do you know who your senator is? Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if I were to ask people that question, Most of them wouldn't be able to answer it. And so you have an electorate that's uninformed by and large. Did you see that video? It went viral with the girls at UCLA campus where the guy was asking them questions like how many stars are on the flag? Um, Where's the queen of England from? What? ocean borders, the Eastern part of the United States. And like these girls could not answer any of the, and it was all females. None of them could answer. There there was like one dude. They couldn't answer any questions. And then he's like, can you name the three Kardashians? And for a bonus point, can you name their brother? And they just, they rattled those off with no fucking problem. And I, I, You know, I remember civics and government and econ. I remember those classes and how much I loved them and how passionate my teacher was. And, you know, that was a requirement for us to graduate high school. Is that still a requirement? Like, do you still have to do that anymore? Like, I feel like something has happened. We have become so stupid as a society. And I say that as kindly as I possibly can. And I'm not, this isn't even a right or left thing. This is just on the whole, people are just like, eh, it's not important to them, but the Kardashians are. When, when did that happen? When did the Kardashians become
1: more important than who your city councilmen are? When did we get into a point as a society that, you know, these little, things i mean not knowing how many stars are on the flag <laughs> come on <laughs> now, <laughs> really yeah <laughs> um it, it's the same thing like how many american citizens can pass the american citizenship test yeah, um,
0: not i would say not very many of them
1: not very many you know and uh, i made it a point of pride once to take one i got a hundred percent i might add look but, at you
0: rockstar <laughs>
1: And you know, and I'm looking at this and I'm laughing, like thinking, how many justices are there on the Supreme Court? Well, duh. Except, you know, then I start overthinking it, like, wait, 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 are we talking about associates plus the chief? Or you know, and that's (laughs) that's not a choice. Like, the answer is none. But you know, it 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 really is. It it it's upsetting how many people don't know these things. Um, I got to be honest with you, I probably couldn't name members of the school board. I do know who our superintendent is, though. because it's the same superintendent of schools as when I was in school <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but yeah there, I mean I had to take uh, gov- a uh, I took AP government when I was in when I was in high school when I was a senior government and econ were required as a senior um, and that's actually where I got into this. You know, some people might ask, you know, well, Heather, who is this random guy that you have on your podcast?
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't even, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even give you like your background or your prereqs. So go ahead and do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, I studied, uh, I, well, this all started for me, you know, I, with, uh, with AP government in high school. I, I kind of fell in love with it. And that was in 2008. So the 2008 presidential election was, um, was starting to ramp up. Um, at the time, you know, I would consider myself a default Democrat, um, you know, growing up in Southern California, that's just really the only option. Right. Um, and then, you know, Barack Obama came onto the scene and I was listening to a lot of opposing viewpoints while I was in, um, while I was in high school, because I knew that I was only getting really one viewpoint. Sure. Um, And that lead, that led me to, uh, the late Charles Krauthammer. Um, who I would listen oh, to quite I'll often, um, which of course led me a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole to, uh, you know, commentators like Bill O'Reilly and, um, Sean Hannity when Sean Hannity still had, uh, Alan Colmes with him. Um, mm-hmm. and I started thinking, you know, I think I might actually be a conservative. <laughs> 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 With some of the things that these people were saying. And I'm like, that makes total sense. Right. Um, and then, of course, you know, the market crash happened in 2008. I was graduating high school. The presidential election was ramping up. Um, I did end up uh, voting for John McCain in 2008. So you can all forgive me for that.
0: I know. I, I also voted for Mitt Romney. So it's like, I I just, j- that's why women shouldn't vote. <laughs> Um, Go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. So I actually ended up studying politics in college. Um, I uh, studied political science at Loyola University, New Orleans, Um, uh, specialized a lot in American political theory, Um, really took on the focus of American politics. And that's where I started uh, monitoring elections a little more closely because I wanted to understand how these um the projections and the guesses are made on election night
0: mm-hmm. i wanted
1: to be able to to look at things and understand it for myself it took me a really long time to really understand it and i didn't get into really the nitty gritty of what we're looking at when we look at exit polls and voter polling and the things of those of that nature up until probably about 2016 when all of my conventional wisdom you know got crumpled up and thrown out a window when Donald Trump was elected president. Right. Regardless of if I voted for him or not, which I did. But, um, you know, I was still I, I was sitting here on election night watching Wisconsin. And I remember it was about uh, nine o'clock and I um, Pacific time. And I was looking at some stuff and I had news feeds on and cable news in the background and, you know, kind of doing my thing. I looked up at some friends of mine, watching some of these returns come in Wisconsin and watching these red areas where Trump was overperforming and going, Holy crap.
0: I will never forget that night. I, for, for the rest of my life, watching Hillary Clinton send John Podesta out to give her concession speech and send all those people crying home, like that. That night was epic.
1: <laughs> and you know, by that point, like nobody had actually projected or called the election, right? You know, um, except for some of us who were kind of in the know that knew even before that that it was over. Yeah. I mean, once once the Wisconsin domino fell, there. It, you knew that there, that Pennsylvania was probably going to be next. Yeah. Um, which is ultimately what it was on election night. But then, of course, the Michigan domino fell also. Um, and that's where I continue to believe that elections are going to be won and lost now, is uh, up there in the Rust Belt Midwest. That's where Republicans need to be focused nationally because that's where there's still this sort of butting of heads of, yeah, this is a lot of union blue collar homes, but these are also people who are being ravaged by inflation and by the economy, which are the two biggest issues, according to uh even this um, ABC Washington Post poll. Oh my
0: day. God, it was so bad. And did you see Nancy's press conference where she's trying to like, or not her press conference, but like her interview? where she's trying to like justify the polls. Did you see that?
1: I saw a clip of it, but I didn't see the whole thing cuz I'm pretty sure I was still at work. But yeah, I
0: holy shit, man. She's grasping at straws at this point.
1: They're they're in a panic right now because they really are about to lose their their control on power. They have everything right now. I, and I want to really want to um, drive this point home. This is not going to be 2010. I don't think this is going to be 2010. I don't think any data suggests this is going to be 2010. Mm-hmm. But it is going to be 2010 in the way that the Democrats are going to lose everything. Right. They've gambled. They've, uh, you know, they, they've gone on this drunken spending spree that in the middle of inflation... Um, You know, and the barometer by which everything is going to be judged is going to be by the kitchen table issues. They're out here trying to give us this Rovember abortion narrative. And you know something? No one gives a shit if you can get an abortion or not when they can't put gas in their car and go to work and have food to eat. Joey, you know what's crazy
0: to me? The people who care about abortion live in states that are still allowing abortion.
1: It, it's amazing, isn't it? Just absolutely like, amazing.
0: The, the, you can still abort your baby at 24 weeks in California. Like, you can find out what the gender is, and four weeks later, you can go kill your baby. That didn't change.
1: <laughs> Nothing changed. But, you know, they've been sold this narrative. And I mean, this ties into the into why they're trying to, you know, why this is the hill they want to die on for the midterms, regardless of how bad it's polling, um, that, you know, the the abortion thing, you know, once Roe went down, that it was all open season, fair game. And granted, Clarence Thomas didn't help that in his dissent at all, uh, or in his, uh, sorry, not in his dissent. Oh, boy, I'm going to get some heat for that one. In his concurrence, um... That, uh, you know, he's like, well, we should revisit all of these things. And Alito, you know, and Kavanaugh, too, really went to painstaking lengths to say we are only talking about abortion in this. Um, and they so they've they've been sold this. They've been given this thing like this is the be all end all of your rights. If you're a woman, this is going to be the handmaid's tale. You're going to be walking around in, you know, a, a red robe and, you know. whatever. I've never actually seen the show, but you know, I've seen the LARPing (laughs) and (laughs) there's, and they've been, they've been sold this narrative, Heather. It's, I mean, as a woman, this has to insult you more than it does, you know, that your worth as a woman, it depends on if you do or do not carry a child to term, or if you have that ability to carry a child to term or not. Right. I uh, I just don't what what I and I, I trust me as partisan as I am I have tried to understand this especially in terms of holding on to power and it just does not click with me not when you know um, I'm I'm a single man I don't have kids I'm not married but I'm thinking about you know the mom and dad who have to sit down after the kids have gone to bed to talk about the finances. Right. They're not talking about abortion. Nope. Who, who is, doesn't spend their like life on Reddit and Twitter is talking about abortion.
0: Joey, I had to go get tires on my car the other day. Mm -hmm. And the first quote that I received for two tires, they weren't even like Gucci tires. They were just regular run of the mill tires. Two tires in the past would have been like two hundred and fifty bucks. Right. My first quote was over six hundred dollars.
1: It's insane.
0: And I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, I thought I think maybe I misunderstood you. I just need two tires, is what I told him. <laughs> he goes, "That is for two tires." I was like, "Oh, I like no, I'm going to call somebody else." <laughs> like. And but that one wasn't that much better. Like I ended up having to get four tires, and it was like eight hundred and seventy dollars or something.
1: Just for the comparative value, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And so it. And then groceries. I go. I I don't know if you know this or not, but for over because you haven't been following me for that long, but for over a year now, I've been doing this um, inflation experiment. I need to go buy the stuff tomorrow, just to see. But the the cost we're looking at like thirty percent in inflation for three items: milk, bread, and a pound of hamburger.
1: The staples. The staple. Yeah. And that's what. This so isn't concerning. like I
0: went and bought. You know the and it was a it's like cheap dollar store brand like it's not even. I'm not going and getting like Whole Foods and, and that's the inflation cost. This is just regular <laughs> run-of-the-mill food. It's crazy.
1: It, 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 it's absolutely insane. And I mean, um, when you consider rural America too, where, you know, a lot of these battlegrounds are and that have shifted so Republican so heavily. Um, th- th- these are the things that, uh, that, you know, are hitting people the hardest in their pocketbooks. And then you talk about gas because you know I live in I live in LA you know I take the train to what? work every day um but it, if you can't put gas in your car to get to work and you live in an area where you have to drive I mean LA is still pretty much a city where you pretty you would almost have to drive everywhere um I'm just you know lucky enough that I live on the major transit lines and I work downtown um that They these people can't get to work. They can't get to the grocery store. They're cutting back just to be able to go to work to have to cut back more. I think the recent statistic was um, that inflation is costing the average American $4,000 a year out of their income. Yeah. That's a whole month's pay for some people. Like you're you're doing 12 months worth of work for um, 11 months worth of pay.
0: So... You had mentioned something just now that made me – it's kind of unrelated, but it triggered me to think about it. This pendulum swing, right? We've Mm -hmm. gone – you said something like experiment, right? The left has just pulled that pendulum so, so hard to the left. If if we do see this – and we're going to get to the Senate races here in a second. But if we do see this pendulum swing – Back to the other side, I'm almost just as afraid of that as I am where the pendulum is at right now.
1: Yeah, like that's true. Yeah, that, that's- going
0: to the far right extreme version of things, and um, I I just kind of want to hear your take on that. What you think that looks like if that does in fact happen.
1: Well, what do we think the far right is? I mean, let, let's try to define that for a second, because there is this kind of nebulous, you know, throwing around of the word extremist and extremism. Sure. Um, because you know, um, we- it's we- less
0: about that and more about. Um, so, th- like the liberty-minded version of me has—I'm—I would still consider myself like conservative in some regards, but I, I see like. This administration giving us something similar to the Patriot Act, but worse. Like, that's, what I, I mean, like, extreme increase in police power, preemptive force, that type of stuff. I, that's what I see coming from a, a hard swing to the other side to, quote unquote, crack down on crime. Because that's, a, I mean, that's the, that's the third most important thing that's on people's minds right now. Um, yeah. After was- inflation in the economy, so. Um,
1: and yeah, that's that's definitely a possibility. I really don't see, in anyone who's you know a, a serious candidate, I don't see this authoritarian trend. Uh, right. There's ways to combat crime that don't involve the constant, uh, don't, don't involve a, a heavy surveillance state. So if we're going to talk about like maybe the far right here as like being being a more authoritarian right, that exists. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. I'm not so delusional to say that it doesn't. I just don't think it's enough that it's going to have any sort of, um, I don't think it's going to gain too much ground. Um, a hard swing to the right, I think would look more so, we're gonna we would get a lot of conservative populism. So, but some people like to call Trumpism without Trump, right? Um, if, if that makes sense, sure, That's yeah. Kind of more of what I see going on now with crime. You know, since we since we brought that up being number three, just to uh, share, Republicans are trusted um, on crime uh, by fifty six percent, and Dems by Democrats by thirty four. Uh, and that's from, I like using this right now because, uh, it's definitely an adversarial poll, but that's from ABC, Washington. Is that
0: ABC? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I really like using that right now. So, uh, I don't sound like too much of a shill because I'm about to go heavy on CD media and Trafalgar, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, I, I just lost my train of thought because my cat decided to walk across my laptop.
0: No, it's okay. No worries.
1: Um, yeah, so with crime, sorry, um, the, the biggest thing is getting these uh, soft on crime DAs out. Um, the That first shot was fired with Chesa Booting, and, oh, buddy, I did not see that one coming, um, at least not by its margin. Um, San Francisco has by and large been under, under siege by crime, I mean, for years now. Uh, LA's gotten just as bad, if not worse. And there were the voters in San Francisco, to their credit, as crazy, hippie, liberal as San Francisco can be sometimes, said enough is enough. Yeah. And how do you go about it? Um, You know, I've uh, read a lot about broken windows policing. So we're not getting into like super heavy authoritarian like, uh, you know, crime crackdowns and surveillance. And um, well, the Democrats didn't go for warrants, why should we go for warrants? It's more of finding these areas where, you know, little things like vandalism, uh, breaking and entering, things like that are happening. And having laser focused crackdowns on petty crime so that you reduce the overall crime rates of violent crime and large dollar property crime, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's always oh, something going on, but. You're being targeted. You, you know, you're you're, you're having more targeted approach rather than sure. some kind of shotgun. Uh, well, you know, they did it. They they weaponized the FBI. We're going to weaponize the FBI. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> the Republicans are way too spineless to weaponize any agency of government. I think we all know that.
0: Yeah, they're too spineless. Even stop the weaponization of a <laughs> branch of government.
1: Uh,
0: um. Okay, let's get into the Senate race, and then I want to talk some social stuff before we get off here. And uh, we've already been on here. I knew this was going to happen because it's you and me. We're already forty-five minutes in, and we haven't even made it through the Senate race. (laughs) Okay, um, so this is interesting to me. Okay, so you've got your lean Democrat. So you've got Kelly Bennett and Hassan,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and you've got toss up. Warnock and Herschel Walker are like neck and neck right now, which was unexpected.
1: Um, Depending on who you're looking at, um, I firmly believe that Herschel Walker or that, Her- yeah, that Herschel Walker is going to defeat Raphael Warnock, but it's going to be very narrow. It's going to be about like one point, and this is the reason I believe that. Um, other than you know, CD Media and Trafalgar both having him up, I think by two. Um, Warnock been, or
0: Herschel Walker? Which uh, one? Did...
1: Walker's up by two. Okay. Um, Brian Kemp is um, about to. What's the delicate way to put this? Um, <sighs> Shellac Stacey Abrams for a second time.
0: <laughs> she just lost a huge lawsuit today.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. But. Uh, With with Brian Kemp performing where he is at the top of the ticket, that's what's going to be Herschel Walker's um, uh, gateway. Saving race. Yeah, because there's not going to be, in that race, there is not going to be a split ticket um, Kemp Walker, or Kemp uh, Warnock voter. That's not going to happen, not in Georgia. Right. Um, Now, with Herschel Walker, I mean, is really how I feel about that. (laughs)
0: Um, That's how I feel about a lot of these races, Joey
1: I mean It's Dr. Oz too Like, I mean, was Memphis really the best The the best we had
0: No Why are we Like, why are we choosing such shitty candidates?
1: It comes back to I think that, you know, those girls who knew who the Kardashians were But couldn't tell you, you know, who the Chief Justice of the United States is um, yeah, it, it, it star power means more than America than ideas and leadership. I mean, you know, we're going to have a majority and Herschel Walker is very much going to be a um, a Trump acolyte in the Senate. That dude's not going to, you know, he he's he's going to dance with the people who brung him and who put him there. And Donald Trump is partially behind that. Um, he's probably going to be a thorn in Mitch McConnell's side as a U.S. senator. I'm just praying to God he's not, you know, d- doesn't. I feel like the they head. all
0: are, and Mitch McConnell's like, "Fuck this!"
1: <laughs> we'll With hope- his little we'll-
0: comments that he came out, he had to walk those back real quick.
1: You know, Mitch McConnell needs to not be in leadership. the The, the, the Senate Republicans need to revolt because. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if uh, Willard Romney and uh, Lisa Murkowski and um, Susan Collins want him to be majority leader if the rest of the caucus is like, you know, knocking the turtle over on his back. Like it just. Right. The man's too old. He doesn't represent what the Republican Party is becoming anymore. This, you know, increasingly blue collar, rural working class um, party that the, you know, this very average Joe um uh, you know, apple pie and, uh, American, like he, he, that's not Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is of uh, the McCain wing, the, um, you know, everything that's dead right. about the Republican party that Donald Trump, you know, uh, took out in 2016 and then has, and then has basically double tapped at this point. It's, it's done. I mean, it's true. He, he needs to let it go for the new generation, um, do you think he will? I don't think he will willingly.
0: Yeah, I don't either.
1: I think um, he's going to lose control of the caucus and he's probably going to say, you know, F this and not seek re-election in four years is probably what would be more likely to happen rather than actually giving up the majority, the rather than giving up the leadership in the Senate. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself calling him the majority leader, but um, I do believe it's going to happen. Um and uh okay look, tell me
0: where you see it happening tell me um because what i see right now i think johnson's in trouble in wisconsin and i wouldn't have said that 6 7 weeks ago but today i i feel like he is in trouble
1: um so i'm actually over here on uh looking at real clear politics map i for those um who don't know about real clear politics what they like to do is take the average of polls um, so I'm looking at their Senate map right now it's the most recent one they ha- they have based on the average um, okay. they have Wisconsin right now at solid red um really and I'm gonna agree with that because a recent poll uh, shows uh, Michelle's actually defeating governor Evers by a point and then it's also showing Ron Johnson ahead by six um what yeah so this is a so this is where Trafalgar comes in um so for those who don't know Trafalgar was one of the most accurate pollsters of 2016 in fact I think they were the only pollster they were the only ones that predicted that Trump was gonna win yeah um they did it again with Glenn Youngkin too I mean I think they were like like Youngkin plus three and Youngkin won by 2.7 um I said Yunkin plus two, and of course, you know, I was about just, I was less, I was about more off than Trafalgar, but not by much. I just, Ron Johnson's not in trouble, and here's the reason why we have to be careful about polling places like Wisconsin, and this also goes for Western Pennsylvania. Um, These places are notoriously difficult to poll. Why? Because the majority of the state lives in very, lives in these very rural areas, and they simply don't respond to polling. So where are you getting your samples? You're getting it from the urban areas and centers. And those, of course, as we discussed earlier, trend-heavy Democratic. Wisconsin has always been notoriously, notoriously difficult to poll. It's also very, it's also defies the conventional wisdom as well, because states like Wisconsin and Michigan, these would generally, you would think, are the Democrat base. These are, you know, union households, blue-collar workers, you know, so on and so forth. But they have these, you know, God, country and family values. And let's not even talk about God, which, you know, we don't need to get into that. Um, But the country and family, I mean, the Democrats are just, you know, willing to throw the American family right out the window. I mean, obviously, (laughs) when when families can't uh, afford to feed their kids and all the Democrats want to talk about is killing their unborn kids. Um, so it's not, it's not a resonating message. Um, we go into somewhere like Wisconsin and because it's so notoriously difficult to poll for that reason, and it's, it's, you're going to go in thinking, oh, Ron Johnson's goose is cooked. He's done. Well, just like in Georgia, there's not going to be a split ticket. Michelle's, um, Johnson voter, not this go around. And it's going to have everything to do with the quality of life of the American family. That's the point that I can't drive home enough, is that's what's driving this um, th- this sort of election, this, uh, this Republican resurgence, if you will. Um, you'll notice that I'm conspicuously not saying the word wave. I hate that word. That word is <laughs> banned. Um, just like I hate the word landslide. I, I, I mean, the word landslide irritates me to no end. The last landslide <laughs> this country saw was in 1984, in my opinion. <laughs> um, oh, that's it, funny. It's, it, you know, our country's so deeply divided. I don't think we're going to see another 1984, not
0: anytime soon. Um, so, oh man. Could you imagine the country being as united now as they were then? What we would accomplish or what we could accomplish? It's crazy. Because we have technology now that we didn't have then. there There is an opportunity there, but people just want to hate one another.
1: Yeah. And I mean, really think about this for a second. I mean, think about what's happening in just the two of us sitting down. You have me, the city boy in California. And you, you know, um, more of a, you live in kind of in rural Indiana as I understand it. Yeah so and we maybe don't see eye to eye on every issue, but the common ground that we've that, that you and I have found, choosing to see to really have a dialogue and to try to understand where where we're both coming from, we understand that we have ultimately what we think is the best for the country at heart. Right. Um, I have actually my best friend who I won't name cause you know, this will be on the internet, but, uh, and she <laughs> is very much a, um, a Bernie Sanders, AOC wing liberal. And, uh, I'm going to be in her wedding in a couple of years. So, Aww. you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Sure. People.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: People can find a common ground with each other in the. Darkest of times, you know. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, nine twelve. Um, sure. Heck, let's think about Florida right now. You know, I've been uh, personally praying for Florida and for the situation they're facing after Hurricane Ian. And I'm just thinking, you know, in places like Miami, it's like no one cares if you're a Republican or a Democrat right now. In Fort Myers, no one cares if you had a DeSantis sign in your front lawn or a Charlie Chris sign in your front lawn. Um, they're coming together to try to do the best they can for each other. And what maybe is heartbreaking is that it does take these tragedies and these disasters for this American spirit to come through, but it doesn't have to. Right. If you can
0: be that way without the disaster.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, what can you do today that's going to make someone's day a little bit easier and you'll find that there's a lot that you can actually do for somebody and that at the end of the day twitter's not real life reddit's not real life fox news msnbc and cnn are not real life we are a very very bizarre country (laughs) with a lot
0: of first world problems
1: with a lot of first world problems That um, But we're bizarre in the sense that um, we are not ethnically homogenous under the strictest definition of the word nation. That's not us because we don't have a common um, sort of, uh, you know, this common set of like religious, um, social and grounded, you know, in, in that sort of thing. America is this weird amalgam of all kinds of people from that came from all sorts of different places and are trying to make something work under the proposition that all men are created equal and are endowed with their creator by certain certain unalienable rights. And the second we realize that it's not the person you know that you're fighting with on Twitter that actually wants to take your rights away. It's a bunch of talking heads, In our nation's in our country's capital that are you know creating these smoke screens and these problems so that they can continue to hold on to power instead of being servants that kneel and grovel and beg for the opportunity not to hold power but to be the executors of power on behalf of the american people that's when we can stop yelling at each other and start yelling at the people who have put us at each other's throats.
0: Gosh. It's like almost a perfect place for us to end this episode, but I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. It <laughs> was really nice. Um
1: so the pickup, sorry, back to the Senate, um after yeah. my, my waxing poetic, um there's a momentum shift to to, to Oz, um and So, and back to what I was saying about Western Pennsylvania being notoriously difficult to poll, here's a working theory that I have. And granted, this is a theory um, that that area was underpolled for for Doug Mastriano by about 10 points. So, his deficit to Josh Shapiro right now is, you want to guess the number? 10 points.
0: No way.
1: Um, McCormick was underpolled, too, in that area by about 12 points. Uh, during the primary. What? Um,
0: Such a huge amount of underpolling.
1: Yeah. And again, this is a very rural area. It hugs Ohio. Um, And so when we're looking kind of at how that's going to play out, um, you know, Eastern Ohio, Western Pennsylvania there, where they're, where they kind of touch there, that's a lot of people that like, you know, live in one state and work in the other and so on and so forth. Right. right. Um, So we're seeing a lot of, you know, we would see a lot of similar values there. Um, so that's a hold for the Republicans. Um, Nevada is going to be the big pickup. Um, Adam Laxalt in Trafalgar and Me and a few others is like absolutely dominating Catherine Cortez Masto, and Real Clear Politics ap- appears to agree with me because it's listing the two major pickups right now as Nevada and Georgia. Yeah. So that's fifty-two. Um, there, uh, fifty-three is possible. I'm a little bit bearish on Blake Masters' chances, but with Carrie Lake being an absolute rock star and apparently you know, um, at the top of the ticket and very much poised to defeat Hobbs in Arizona and become governor, I think that Masters has a good chance because they've appeared a lot together. And you know, she is really trying to drag everyone else down ballot across with her, which I mean, to Carrie Lake's credit, that's absolutely great that she's doing right. that. Um, regardless of how much Mitch McConnell was trying to uh, throw that race. I have that, I have Arizona in a firm toss up still. I really just don't know. Um, That's the my, race
0: with Mark Kelly, right?
1: Yeah. I really yeah. just don't know about that one. I really think it's could still go either way. So could Oz's race for that matter. But the, um, the trend since, uh, you know, about Labor Day has been that, you know, Fetterman's losing ground. Um some polls have a seven point swing to Oz, some have a four point swing to Oz. Everything is swinging to Oz. When we look at the generic ballots, still, um, Real Clear Politics uh, is showing the generic congressional ballot at Republicans plus 1.4. Um, you have some other polling that's um, definitely got their chances looking a little bit rosier. Actually, here's Ron Johnson for you. Um, this is by a Democrat uh, biased pollster, by the way. Uh, Ron Johnson leading Mandela Barnes by two. Um, And Mark Kelly actually only leading Blake Masters by one. And that's data for progress.
0: I Um, really like Blake Masters a lot. And I I know he's super controversial. There are a lot of people who don't like him because of everything that went down between. Well, not between, but like with Peter Thiel and all of that stuff. But I am a huge Blake Masters fan. So I really hope that he wins.
1: I, I'm hoping he does too. I think he can do it. Um, I think he can do it. I think if he does, he's going to be having Carrie Lake to thank for that. Um, yeah. I think so she's, too. She's a rock star that came out of nowhere. And yeah.
0: He, she was a name that you'd never heard of and she just popped on the map and then has been pretty predominant for
1: the last month or so. She dominated her primary. And I mean, of course you know, I, I think you were listening to me kind of gripe about this, how long it took Arizona to count the damn ballots. Right. <laughs> um, and it was almost like, you know, this, uh, they didn't want to announce the death of the McCain dynasty, which is basically what happened <laughs> in Arizona, um, because that's what Ducey and, you know, her opponent in the primary, Robson, represented, and everybody's coming out with, Carrie Lake is going to lose this, Carrie Lake is going to lose, and... um. Yeah, that's just uh, – now she's dominating Katie Hobbs because Katie Hobbs, I think, is just a terrible candidate in Arizona. And it's in a really, really, really bad year for Democrats.
0: Isn't um, Katie Hobbs the one that was, like, having sex with her intern or something?
1: No, that was uh, – ooh, who was that? It was Katie something. Katie Hill. She was a Democrat congressman Hill. in California. Lord have mercy
0: Sorry. on <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> she's back? <laughs>
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and she moved to Arizona to try to. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, like, legitimately, that's what I thought. I thought she was trying to make another go for it.
1: Oh man, wouldn't that have been funny?
0: (laughs) Um. Okay. So So you think we're going to take the Senate, and you think we're going to win the House, but not by as big of margins as people thought?
1: No. So I think the most realistic scenario is the Republicans gain a a majority of ten putting them at 223. Um, 225 is possible, but it's not going to be any higher than 230. Okay.
0: And you think we'll be sitting between 52 and 53 in the Senate?
1: Yes. Uh, 51 is still possible depending on what happens with Dr. Oz.
0: Okay. Um, before I move on real quick with the Fetterman situation, like there's obviously a whole lot of um gossip and accusations going around am i to understand that he legitimately had a stroke recently and he's having trouble speaking
1: i have no Is reason to true? believe that it isn't caused by a stroke um okay we're about to get into pretty you know gossipy territory water cooler territory here so i want to be sure. careful with what i say Um, he's got some very obvious health issues for that. So does the president of the United States. Um, That's why I really think that this is really Dr. Oz's to lose because it really seems like every other day that John Fetterman is up there, you know, stumbling over his words, this, that, or the other thing. There was that whole, you know, mean girls back and forth between him and Oz about the debates. Right. Um, Yeah, it's, you know.
0: I just wanted to understand why the Democrats would put up a candidate and go the entire, like, this happened, it's my understanding, and again, I'm trying not to be gossipy. It's my understanding that this happened early on in the campaign process. They could have replaced him with a viable candidate.
1: I think it happened about a week before the primary, if I remember correctly. okay like a week or two weeks before the primary is when he had the stroke. Gotcha. So, yeah, but you know, you can't help but feel bad for the guy. I I do.
0: I, I absolutely do.
1: But at the end of the day, this is having a position of leadership, authority, and power in this country yeah, I feel murders. bad for
0: Joe Biden, but I really would like for him to step down because he is cognitively not capable of running
1: the country. Especially after this thing lately looking for um, the, the that poor Indiana congresswoman that died in the car accident. Yep. Um, he did it twice. He, he yes. did it twice. And I mean, you know, Corrine Jean-Pierre is getting up there like, oh, you know, she was just on his mind. She He was looking for her, Heather. Anyone who watches even unedited video of that. And then he did it again at the FEMA briefing, you know, walking away, going, Jackie, where's Jackie? Excuse me?
0: (laughs) He, (laughs) He hosted their family, her family on Friday. So, like, could you imagine how awkward that meeting would be with... After twice, he's searching for this dead Congress member. And then you're going to have to, your family's going to have to sit there and hang out with them. Could you imagine you know, that?
1: You know, um, it, it, it is awkward because uh, on a very personal note, um, my mom's uncle, so my grand uncle, my great uncle, um, also has dementia. And so the last time we actually went to go see him, Um, he was mostly pretty, um, lucid, but my grandfather, so my grandfather passed away in, um, 2007 and he kept asking my mom how her dad was like, you know, it was awkward, but we, you know, we understood, you know, that, um, that, that uncle Mike's, you know, he, he's got his health issues and and that's where that came from. So, you know, there, there wasn't any hard feelings or anything, but again, he does have those health issues. And he kept asking my mom that question. How's your dad? Um, right. It's heartbreaking when someone that you love goes through that. And it's just like, why would we want to put this on full display of the country and just pretend that the emperor's got these brand new Gucci threads. Joey, on his not night.
0: just for our country, but for the world. Yeah. You are putting on display pure, unfettered weakness.
1: That, China's watching that Russia Russia's is watching, watching Iran, yeah, all of these North bad Korea, actors. and it really just makes you wonder was Donald Trump really that bad?
0: <laughs> right, yeah, like we don't have, thank goodness, no more mean tweets. Okay, so I want to get personal is- with you for a minute if you'll, um, if you'll afford me the opportunity to, and if if not, I'll just edit this part out, yeah. Um, so I want to talk culture for a few minutes. Is it difficult? You are a gay man in California, but you are a conservative. Is it a challenge for you? And do people treat you differently because they automatically expect you to be a Democrat? They automatically expect you because you identify as a gay man, you should toe the line on the the political spectrum? Does Does that happen to you?
1: It does in the times where people ask me questions or want me to be involved in certain conversations. Um, Example, um, I made the incredibly stupid decision to be on dating apps a while back, um, (laughs) which are absolute train wreck, as we all know. Um, (laughs) But uh, I remember that, um, you know, during the... um, You know, during the election was when I was on a lot of these apps and uh, uh, during 2016 election, excuse me, because during 2020, um, obviously there wasn't too many places to go out for a date. Um, But and like, you know, people would, uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, can I see like your social media or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, my Twitter is public, like, you know, and Twitter, of course, where I get the most rowdy politically, as you probably well know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And so they would see, you know, my my Republican uh, leanings, and even though in 2016 I was less an enthusiastic Trump voter, um, that I was at least moderately defending Donald Trump. And you know, those uh, my dates would get broken off. Um, you know, people would say, "Oh, like you know, you know, the ones that I get the most are like, you know, you're self-loathing. You clearly there's something about yourself you don't like." And I'm, I just think to myself, what? <laughs> Why is it that because I'm a man who is attracted to men, that that should determine literally everything else about my life, down to the way I see the world? It doesn't. It and it's never made sense to me. I right. mean, um, you know, I'm i I'm a regular church attending Christian, um, with some very biblical worldviews. I mean, we've you know we've talked about abortion. That's definitely one of them. Although now I've gotten more into the science of uh, field development and stuff so I can make that case better uh, to those who are who are not religious. Um, and, and that's also been a, a, a point of contention is that, you know, I definitely want to date and want to have a partner who's going to be willing to understand that, that faith takes a lot. Uh, it is, is a very big part of my life. Um, right. And it's very important to me. Um, I'm more likely these days to identify myself as not even with my politics, but as being a Christian before anything else, before even being gay, before being, um, you know, conservative, uh, any of that, because that's the part of me that, um, that forms this, this understanding of... Everyone around me is my brother or my sister. And right. that's why I get involved in things like this is because I care about people a lot. Um, I care about their their ability to, even if I don't know them, to live a happy, healthier, and productive life, or even to have the option to do that, even if they've made bad choices along the way. And that's do an unpopular s- opinion.
0: Yeah, it is. It in today's society very much so um do you see like we were talking pendulum swinging earlier and, and authoritarian right and things like that So right now you're seeing a lot of um, as a Christian I would imagine some some issues especially we just talked on Friday night we talked about, the transgender legislation that Governor Newsom – Governor Newsom, Gavin – Governor Gavin Newsom Gavin, just signed into law and, um, you know, drag queen story hours and pride parades. And, you know, this over-sexualization in the presence of children is really, for me, what it boils down to that I take issue with, right? Yeah.
1: and it's it...
0: – So when we talk about that pendulum, no, 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 you're fine. Um, When we talk about that pendulum swinging, you know, they're going to come hard for that from a cultural perspective, I think. And I fear that, you know, the work and effort that the gay community has put in to be like, look, we, we just want to love who we want to love. And we want to do that privately and we want to do our own thing. And you know, you don't have to to come in our bedroom and watch it. Just just let us live our life. And I, I feel like the effort, the painstaking effort and grounds that you guys have made, and I say you guys speaking specifically about the gay community, over the course of the last 10 years is literally going to get washed out like a the tide coming on the shore. Where... at least that's what my fear is. So I kind of want to hear from someone who's in that world versus me looking at it from the outside. Do you see that as well? Or am I just projecting and overthinking that situation?
1: No. So, um, I actually worry about this a lot lately, um, that, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas's concurrence and Dobbs could become, you know, and then the ensuing meltdown becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, especially based on a lot of this gender ideology that's out there. Um, and, and that's, by and large, where a lot of this has started going just absolutely bonkers. I mean, look, I'm not, I, I don't have kids, so I'm not going to tell someone how to parent their kids. Right. But I think I'm on very firm ground saying that it is incredibly inappropriate to have your child at a pride parade, at least with what they've become. Um, right. it's not okay for children of a certain age to be exposed to even graphic, to graphic, even, you know, sexual education. Um, you know, they're now granted, I do think that parents should talk to their kids at a, you know, at least at a minimum to give them the language enough sure. language so that they can tell you if they're being abused by somebody right. and there's ways to go about that, um, that are entirely age appropriate. Um, And of course, you know, kids, at least when they start, you know, getting into adolescence, they should be instructed purely scientifically about what's going on with their bodies. But also parents should have an option to say, you know what, I don't want that happening in school. Let me talk to my kid about that in my way. Um, Having this one size fits all situation going on is... It's not working. It's that's uh, why Glenn Youngkin won. One of the many reasons why Glenn Youngkin won in Virginia. But on the deeper level, I am just so worried that that the the extreme far left, what I commonly refer to as the Alphabet Cult, to distinguish it, you know, from the rest of us normal sane people, and we are going to be casualties of what they're doing. We're going right. to be collateral damage. And there there have been more and more, or maybe it's just, you know, that uh, I, I do run in, you know, a lot of these uh, circles, um, you know, obviously in yours and then a few others that I have met some more uh, gay people who are at least questioning what the line is and not right. telling it anymore. But um, last night we also had another, we had, a, we had the conversation about this. I brought up an essay by Alexander Solzhenitsyn called Live Not By Lies. And I understand that it's difficult for a lot of people to speak up. I mean, I'm being v- very vulnerable right now talking to you and knowing um, what your your reach is and where this is going to go. Sure. And I honestly don't care because standing up for the truth is the most important thing that you can do. If you can't do that in your own life, just simply don't indulge the lies. Um, right. In this case, you know the this uh you know one size fits all approach to gender and sexuality this um you know the this these forces that are just coming for kids for i mean for god's sake these are people's children you know like yeah i the only thing that i can say to some who might be listening to your podcast is uh is that there are there are those of us who are normal some of us are too afraid to speak up and speak out that's just gonna be the bottom line because they don't want to lose friends um i think in a lot of the gay community too it's just that this is uh there's a lot of peer pressure it's this is what's popular so i have to believe this or at least i have to say it even if i don't really believe it sure but if you need somebody to go with you to defend your children from these forces that want to push these drugs and these surgeries and everything else on them, I will be right there with you to to stop because we th- this is madness at this point. It is sheer, unadulterated madness.
0: If- is that disheartening for you as a gay man? I mean, I... I can't imagine it. And I can't, I right. It's like me trying to imagine being black or me trying to imagine being a man. I can't, I can't put myself in those positions because I have never experienced it, but I, my heart really breaks because I do have quite a few gay friends, gay and lesbian friends. And You would, I I sound so like fucking rude and I don't mean for it to, but like you would never know, right? Like
1: like,
0: you would never know what their sexual preference is. They don't wear it on their body like a, like a marker and they just want to live their life. You just want to live your life. You want to get married to a man that you love. You want to have kids and a white picket fence. Like we've talked about this. So
1: that's, that's my biggest dream in life. You know, some people dream about being CFO of a fortune 500 company. Some people dream about making it big in politics or this, that, or the other thing. My biggest dream in life is to be a husband and a father. Like if I have that, I've got everything that I could ever need. In life. And I will have considered my life to be a success.
0: See, like, that's so beautiful. And so to, I I feel like there is a lot of, I remember when gay marriage was legalized. I'm going to go back to this moment. Do you remember the county clerk who refused to sign the the marriage licenses. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, Kim something. He was in Kentucky. Yeah, Kim something. Yeah, I remember that.
0: And so I remember being so angry for those people because she was so adamant on not doing it. and And you saw this big, like, the straight community was happy for the gay community to finally be able to get married to one another, to finally be recognized as just two people who love one another. And then what has transpired over the last, what is it now, 10 years since that happened? Uh, it was 2015.
1: Eight, eight? Yeah. Obergefell was, well, Obergefell was 2015. Okay. So so almost um, 10 years. Yeah. Thereabouts.
0: Um, so, where we've come, like you, it now, it's to the point you have large um corporations changing their bio uh pictures, their their unless avatars, it's
1: the Middle, unless it's the Middle East division, and throw that one right. Out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and you have big parades, and you have all of this. But then it has, there is a subsection that has just transformed into this level of degeneracy and they're using gay people as a stepping stone to that. It's like they're walking all over what you guys have done. And it just, I can't imagine how frustrating that is for you guys.
1: For me, you know, I have just, um, I... A couple of years ago, I was in a really ill-advised relationship and, uh, you know, was more involved in that community. And um, I needed one more time to see how toxic it is, I think, is probably what the situation was. Right. Um, You know, because I've always had this in my head that I could, you know, have one foot, you know, in in both the things. And, uh, you know, I, I need to listen to, you know, the literal God that I believe in uh, more often, knowing that I can't serve two masters, because I can't serve two masters, and I can't have one foot in you know this type of life that I'm pursuing that I want that I would love for everybody to have, and still have a foot in a world that's driven by just catering to every little impulse that you have and putting it on display in some of the most grotesque ways imaginable. Right. Um, once they've started this coming for the kids thing, that is when I've really, really just I've, I've had it with the with, you know, the mainstream, quote unquote, gay world now. And, right. you know, this is a, you know, it, it's it, it is disheartening. It really is. Um, I get into my own head a lot and I try not to be there because sometimes it can be a pretty dark place. And it makes me think, you know, that um even the life that I'm really chasing after that it's not going to be attainable because I'm never going to find somebody, uh, who's, who has the same goals in life that I do and actually means them, you know, a real monogamous marriage. Um, one that, you know, uh, using a lot of, uh, Christian language here, and I apologize for that, but one that dies to itself every day that crucifies itself. and is no longer um you know two egos it's a single will united in love and in grace and you know understanding that i'm not perfect that i'm no saint um in fact i'm as far from a saint as it gets but that we can try to build something together and it it just gets into my head that that's it's almost going to be unattainable but on the other side of that, you know, uh, I'm also reminded of one of my favorite pieces of scripture that reminds me to, you know, seek you first the kingdom of God, and all of everything else is going to be given to you. You just have to keep, you just have to keep on in perseverance, and keep trying. It goes for politics too. It goes for this really, really crazy world we're living in right now. Um, I've said this on, uh, you know, on our Twitter space before, but the best thing that you can do for the world is to change yourself. Is to look in the mirror and say, "I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that, until I have this in me, this light that I want to come back into the world, where we're not at each other's throats, where we're sitting down and having conversations, where, you know, crazy people online telling people that you know they should pick fights with their Trump-supporting uncle or cut their family out of their lives for voting differently, uh, you know, are looked at as freaks." um and the rest of us just continue to gather and to laugh and to push each other to be the best that we can and to build something that matters.
0: Okay, so like that's twice now where you've you've just said something so profound and just really good, so I'm going to end it on that one.
1: All right. Thank you so um, much. I love talking. you
0: so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Joey. Thank you for taking the time to do the research too. I know Um, it's a little fun for you, but I know that, um, (laughs) I definitely wanted to, and, and I, I would like to go ahead and formally while you're on here, invite you back a little bit closer to the election as we see some of these polls tighten up and, and kind of see where things are landing maybe, um, towards the end of October, maybe have you on again, if you'd be willing to come back on.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to come back. Um, I just want to thank you for having me for this opportunity. This has been wonderful, um, you know, one of the, one of the best things that uh, Twitter's ever given me is uh, connecting with you and everybody else on Liberty Happy Hour. So.
0: Oh, Uh, that makes me feel so good. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much.
1: You're very welcome. Have a good night.
0: All right. Love you. Do the same. Love you. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take, but as for me,
1: give me liberty or give me death.